0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with
1: Viator. Hey everyone, on today's show, we break down the Giants' overtime win against the Chicago Bears. We talk about the efforts of Alec Ogletree, some of the emerging young defenders. We go over the offensive struggles on that side of the ball and how the Giants should handle their late game situations. Alright, thanks for listening. Let's get to it. Hello and welcome to the Big Woo Review Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum, and we are coming to you after a 30 to 27 New York Giants overtime win against the Chicago Bears. And Chris, I am still not sure what exactly we just watched.
0: Um, I think it was a win. I mean, it, it, there's tape saying it was a win. So we'll, we'll go with win, but I, I, I'm right there with you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> As someone who thought this game was not going to be particularly close, um, and I, will, I will fully admit I was clearly wrong there. This game was uh, strangely entertaining, but also not particularly played well at, like, any point in the game.
0: Can we say it was a comedy of errors?
1: Yeah, there were a lot of those, and there were some good plays in there. We probably should have known how weird this game was going to get when the second play from scrimmage was an Alec Ogletree pick six.
0: Yeah, six days after we just destroyed him on our last review about his coverage he goes and not only scores the first points of the game on an interception but then comes back and makes a ridiculous interception later in the game like that 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 just figures
1: <laughs> yeah well to be fair to us i think any six days after a podcast would be six days after we ripped alec ogletree for his coverage this season then, um, just true. choose any six days after a given podcast and that probably would have happened uh, but it's true he has struggled but he he came through big i mean he i mean he, he was around making tackles the the bears didn't do much to try to stress him in coverage he just happened to be in in very good places uh, that first interception he was blitzing off the line chase daniel Oh, we'll get into Chase Daniel later, but Chase Daniel just never saw him coming off the edge. He thought he had Tariq and open, and Ogletree was just able to get his arms up and stumble into the end zone. They were only thirteen yards away. The, the second interception later was—I mean—that's about as good of a coverage play as you're going to see a linebacker in like middle zone coverage. When we talked about Ogletree and how he doesn't really react, he waits for things to happen, that is absolutely something where he was able to react. He watched Chase Daniel's eyes, was able to to jump that route and come down with an impressive one-handed catch. So I'll be the first to admit, Ogletree had a very good day on Sunday against the Bears.
0: He did, and he wasn't the only defender to have a really good day. I think we need to just... Right off the bat, give some props to uh, Janoris Jenkins for his coverage. He looked like the jackrabbit we all know he can be.
1: Yeah, so he's... I mean, outside of the 2016 season, when when he was really good, it's his first year with the Giants... He's been a guy that you can get to bite on a double move, and then you can beat him deep. But he's also a guy who's going to make some plays on the ball. And that's kind of the trade-off you can get there. He was great in 2016 because he wasn't biting as much. He stayed a little more disciplined. But in this game, he wasn't tested very often but when he was he was able to make those plays on the ball three passes defended in this game he was able to get his hands on the ball and had the big play on the last play in overtime that sealed it maybe with somebody else there that's that's not a pass that gets knocked away but yeah Jenkins was good and, and you hope maybe that's something that is going to continue going forward there were some stories coming out how how much truth there was or, or how much they were speculation that during the beginning of the week of there were people worried whether you know Jenkins was going to be giving the effort after it seemed like this was kind of a lost season because last year he was kind of one of the guys that that quit he didn't show up after the bye week there was a lot going on there so people were starting to wonder if if he was going to be a guy that was still going to be giving an effort and I think the Bears game definitely showed he is still going to be giving that effort and he played well
0: yeah uh James Betcher certainly seems to have the defense playing hard maybe not consistently well but that I think is more a function of some of the Personnel they have on the squad in some places than his abilities as a coach. As a coach, he seems to have these guys playing with some fire,
1: and that's a point we've brought up multiple times on multiple episodes. That the the defense. The struggles of the defense are, I think, more personnel-related than they are coaching-related, when we can sometimes say the opposite uh, about what's going on with the offense. But yeah, the defense is good, and and there are some of these young guys who are starting to look more promising now. B.J. Hill is one of those guys. Uh, B.J. Hill was all over the place uh, in this game, into the game with three sacks. That was more than any giant had this season. Not just in a game. That was more than the Giants any Giant had this season as a whole. And BJ Hill had three sacks in this game.
0: Yeah, I I noted after the Giants drafted him that he was a surprisingly good athlete for a guy who had basically been slotted in as a nose tackle because that's what he played in college, because of the guys on NC State's line, he was the most capable of playing nose tackle. But he is, for a slightly bigger defensive tackle, he is a really, really good athlete. And he's he's finally getting a chance to show it now that he's kind of moved around the line a little bit. He's able to play 2 I three-technique, at a defensive end sometimes. And he's the kind of player they need up front. And it's paying off, and it's paying off quickly. I actually like the play of all three of the Giants' main defensive tackles. Tomlinson didn't have those splash plays like Hill had, but he was consistently setting other guys up to make plays in the backfield. He was pushing the pocket, disrupting things. And I can't even be too upset at Mario Edwards' penalties because at least he was in the backfield in position to make a play when he had the penalties you you like to see him clean those up but he's been a surprisingly good ad
1: right and these are all guys the giants have been rotating since the damon harrison trade Against the Bears, B.J. Hill played 56% of the snaps. Dalvin Tomlinson was just in on 34%. They got Josh Morrow in in the interior at 20%. R.J. McIntosh played 20%. Mario Edwards played 17%. Uh, So this is just a a line that's going to be rotating these guys in and out. So they're all going to have a chance to make an impact. Uh, I think it's now clear they like B.J. Hill the most in that scenario and they're letting him you know he's the only one who played more than half the defensive snaps and he's showing why he has earned that he has really been all over the field for most of the season since he's started to get increased playing time and now with Damon Harrison gone I think he is the guy who can take over in that interior he's been a really good run stuffer uh, even though there's all the stats about how the the Giants run defense has gone downhill since Harrison left. Hill is a guy who's still making a decent amount of tackles at or behind the line of scrimmage in the run game, and I think he's really the one guy who can create interior pressure right now in the pass rush.
0: Yeah, Mario Edwards can as well, but right now Hill is the Giants' best pass rusher, which I don't think we were thinking we would say back in May.
1: No, I mean, back in May, we weren't even sure if B.J. Hill was you know, going to get run with the starters. He was impressive in training camp, and, and he he's made his way up there. And he is a guy who is going to be a part of this defensive line. Uh, but if we talk about the, I think, the best pass rusher, I think that's still Olivier Vernon. And just a couple days after I wrote something on Big Blue View about how Olivier Vernon has more value than just the raw sack numbers because you can't always count on raw sack numbers to be a good measure of what an edge rusher is doing because if there's pressure there and if he's getting to the quarterback that is good i wrote that about olivier vernon about how he is still getting to the quarterback and even though the sacks weren't there they were going to come and he finished this game with two sacks
0: yeah and one of which was a strip sack which is even better at least for this week, no complaints about how Vernon played. Well, actually, slight complaint on how he played on the edge in the run in run defense. He crashed inside an awful lot, and the Bears took advantage of that on some either cutbacks or counter runs. I don't know if he was expecting somebody else to be outside of him and they weren't there, or if he was misreading the play is a run between the tackles and was overly aggressive. I don't know that without knowing the play call, but that was something a little concerning. I should, I guess, we could say.
1: Yeah, and that's something maybe was a little too aggressive. But I think I'd rather you know be a little too aggressive. And in the grand scheme of things, when you're only giving up to 76 yards to Jordan Howard, it's it's not the worst. You know, thing in the world, I think they kept the run game slightly controlled, so it's not like his aggressiveness really got them out of hand and and being out of position really killed them. But if we're going to bring up some things on the defensive side that did not work well, I am not sure why... The Giants continue to think Landon Collins should be put one-on-one in man coverage against some of these top guys on opposing defenses. We saw it a couple weeks ago when he was one-on-one with George Kittle in the San Francisco game. And against the Bears, he was matched up against Tariq Cohen often. And I'm not sure if there's a play where that went Collins' way. There was one he
0: he actually stuck with Cohen in... Man coverage down the field, but it looked like he lost the ball in the air. He the throw was behind Cohen. And I think Collins had a chance to come up with the interception, but he lost the ball as well.
1: All right. Well that's what well, that's one of the problems. But at least
0: he was there. So at least he, he was, was able there, to hang in coverage was... that one time.
1: He was there, but that was a 46-yard completion he allowed. So, and okay, he was there, but that's that's part of the problem. So you go back to the two Alec Ogletree interceptions, and those are great because they are interceptions, but I think almost more importantly than them being turnovers is they bailed out Landon Collins against Tariq Cohen twice, on the first play that ended up being the pick six, Cohen was open in the flat, and that's where Daniel was trying to go, and it looked like he had some room to, to turn the corner and have a bit of room to run up the sideline before Collins was going to be able to get there. Uh, so that could have been a good game. And then on Ogletree's uh, one-handed interception, uh, on the other side of the field, Cohen was wide open for a touchdown behind Collins. And if Ogletree isn't able to get his hand there, that probably saves a touchdown because Cohen was open. So those were two plays where Collins was beat when it didn't matter. And then there were the plays much later in the game. There was that 46-yard pass down the field that Collins allowed even even though he was there. There was 32-yarder with just 136 remaining in the fourth quarter. Then there were 17 seconds left left. There was a 23-yarder down the sideline that set up the the game-tying touchdown. So this, this was not a matchup that was working at all for the Giants, but it's something they continued to stick with, and there was no adjustment during the game at all for it.
0: No, and I think this gets back to a point we've brought up before, and that. The, it seems like the Giants feel like they almost have no choice but to use Collins like that as because he is their best safety. Regardless of his struggles in coverage, he is their best safety. And he is probably their second best defensive back behind, or yeah, behind uh, Janoris Jenkins, just at least in coverage. They just don't seem to have the infrastructure around Collins to be able to u- consistently use him to his best and they need him to pick up slack and it puts him in positions to be exposed.
1: That I understand. And, and maybe if you want to see how that goes early in the game, that's fine. But I think some type of adjustment needs to be made during the game. At some point when someone like Cohen is continually being Collins, I don't know if you want to leave one of the you know wide receivers with collins but i i don't know maybe try to put grant haley on on cohen at some point and let him run with him a little more i mean that that would have put collins on like anthony miller i, I don't know if that's a that, that's... better matchup for the giants and that's probably part of the problem but i mean there was just so many big plays to cohen and the big plays that were still left on the field that weren't collins covering up for them so I just, I don't know. And then that's that's going to have to be something the Giants figure out going forward because they cannot continue to leave a Collins one-on-one like this against players who are able to get open like George Kittle can, like Tariq Cohen can.
0: Agreed. They, it m- might be time to consider moving to basically a base nickel defense and use Collins basically as a that money backer or weak side linebacker and have either Michael Thomas or Sean Chandler as the second starting safety, I suppose we could say, or as the heavy nickel, and then possibly go to dime with Grant Haley. It's not ideal, but they need to be able to cover up Collins' deficiencies while also letting him play to his strengths because his strengths are damn good.
1: Oh, right. Absolutely. I, I don't want to be knocking Landon Collins as a player. He is a very good player, and when he is able to continue to go downhill, he can cover. I don't think his coverage skills are bad, but asking him to play one-on-one like this against that type of player, um, that's just it's not going to go well for him, and that, that's not exactly a knock against Collins. It's not probably going to go well for a lot of different players in that situation. But I think the Giants could have done more to maybe try to scheme around that than just leaving him out on an island so often. And I- I'm surprised Grant Haley didn't do a little more. He, I mean, he was out in coverage against wide receivers. Like, he did play well again. He's a guy they are now trusting. He played 91% of the snaps in this game. And so... I wonder if we might start to see him move around more a little bit if they try to get Collins out of coverage.
0: That would be, I think, very interesting to see how they use him going forward. He's definitely earned his increase in play. He hasn't been a flashy splash player, but he he consistently shows up. You know, he shows up coming downhill in the run game. He has been honestly better in coverage than you have than you could expect from a an undrafted free agent corner granted he probably should have been drafted yes but even from a day three corner he's been better than i think most people would have expected from him
1: absolutely i mean we can this is not this is not the first time we have praised grant Haley on this podcast uh, we were praising grant Haley, i think really before he even like played a snap i was Very high on him, and throughout training camp, I'm still not totally sure why he started on the practice squad to begin with. But that is different. I think one of the things that allowed the Giants to play as well as they did on defense was Chase Daniel was awful. He He looked okay on Thanksgiving uh, against the Lions that was not the case uh, in this game. He finished with an 11.5 QBR, which again is, if you use it as a win probability metric, quarterbacks who play like Chase Daniel are expected to win the game 11.5% of the time. That is awful. He, uh, I mean, he still finished with 7.3 yards per attempt. A lot of those were (laughs) pseudo Hail Mary deep passes. You know, there was that one to Cohen that hung up, and you know, Cohen made the good adjustment. Uh, there were a couple passes to Allen Robinson. There was the one where Robinson just caught it on B. W. Webb
0: off his head. Yeah,
1: off his head. Uh, per Next Gen stats, that had like a fourteen percent completion probability, and that feels high. Yeah, so they, there were I, there were a lot of gifts in this game, uh, but whew, I, I, I thought this, that one should
0: have been picked off.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably. I have not been the biggest Mitchell Trubisky fan, but man, this game made me really appreciate what Mitchell Trubisky has been able to do for the Bears this season.
0: Yeah, definitely. I suppose Chase Daniel's one saving grace was um, Curtis Riley at free safety, because that stat line could have looked even uglier.
1: Yeah, there was a pick that went through Riley's hands. I I mean he, he can't get gifted an easier interception and then Riley just wasn't able to to hang on um and that is you know part of what we have talked about with Curtis Riley pretty much all year um I think most of the interesting things to talk about happened When the Bears did have the ball, whether it was a Giants defensive play or the Bears doing some interesting things or risky things on offense, let's get into, I think, my favorite play of the game, the Akeem Hicks rushing touchdown on fourth and one. I mean, the Bears needed a score there. Uh, They took in their big 330-pound defensive lineman, put him in the backfield, and just gave him the ball and let him plow through and that (laughs) i mean as much as it was a touchdown against the giants i i think we can all agree when people who aren't supposed to be scoring touchdowns score touchdowns that's part of what makes football very fun
0: it is that absolutely is it just kind of flashback to the old uh movie well it's old now it doesn't feel like it should be old but it is the replacements we have uh John Madden calling games the best man where the fat man gets the ball, you get the fat man touchdown. And then you get the fat man touchdown celebration. <laughs> it's just, I realize I murdered the quote too, but it, it's just fun when that sort of thing happens. Like way back when uh, Henry Hainoski got his touchdown. And those are the kind of plays that make football fun. You know, I think I would have loved to have seen the Giants hand Damon Harrison the ball. And let him run one in.
1: Oh my god, that would have been amazing.
0: Maybe give it to BJ Hill. Who knows?
1: Yeah, there's there's opportunities there. Um, Football is but... allowed
0: to be fun. I, I just wish more coaches would realize that.
1: Yeah, I think um, Matt Nagy is one of those guys who has realized that. And he was a guy who... Yeah, he took this game, he saw what his offense was doing, and he realized... Uh, it needed a little help, and it happened to be that some of that help was very fun. I mean, the, the Akeem Hicks touchdown came on a fourth and goal from the one. They needed that touchdown, and that was their their go-to play. And then later in the game, I, I think we need to talk about the entire like last two minutes of this game, where the Bears were down by 10 drove down the field, got to a fourth and three with a minute 15 left in the fourth quarter uh, down by 10. They got the fourth and goal at the three. There's continually a lot of debate of what you do in that situation down by 10. Uh, Do you kick the field goal, try to get the onside kick and score a touchdown? Or do you try to score a touchdown? Because especially at the three-yard line, you are not guaranteed to get as close to the goal line again. So a touchdown might not come easier than it does in that situation. Uh, but on the fourth and three, Chicago kicked the field goal, uh, went for the onside kick, which in the NFL now, onside kicks are almost impossible after the rule change the NFL made with kickoffs where you're not allowed to overload one side of the line anymore, which is what teams used to do all the time for onside kicks. Now you have to be spread evenly, so it takes away the amount of uh, players teams can send into one area to try to recover the onside kick. But the Bears got it. Oh, I think let's talk about that play for a little bit because I think a lot of people. I focus on Odell Beckham, who was there and did not jump on the ball. But one, I I think there was a weird bounce. And uh, after watching it a few times, I think Curtis Riley missed a block or or was just slow to get a block. Because I, it was his responsibility to take out the Bear who eventually did recover it. Uh, if you watch the play over, or Riley kind of comes over and then he pulls up after he realizes he isn't going to be there in time. And I guess he doesn't want to get a block in the back penalty, uh, which, I don't know, at, at that point might have been worth it because you just make the Bears re-kick and they're, they're not likely to to recover again but Riley isn't there to take the guy out I don't think Beckham was expecting that guy to be as close to him as he was while he was going to try to recover and I think that's uh, putting that all together that's why the Bears were able to recover the outside kick
0: yeah I suppose we you could say Beckham could have played that ball a little bit better yeah I'm I don't want him to come find me and yell at me, so I'm not going to criticize his uh, effort on the play. But criticizing Riley, I suppose, yeah, that's fair. The guy he was supposed to block was the one who was there to pick it up, and and I suppose that is a decent jumping-off point because we haven't actually talked about the offense yet, which is a flip for us. We usually start off with the offense, but I'm not quite sure either of us, Quite knows what to make of the Giants offensive performance
1: yeah I don't really I don't know if I want to talk about the offense there's really not much about the offense to to talk about Uh, But before we do that I think we have to just express the last play after Chicago recovers the outside kick they drive down to the one again and then throw a uh a halfback pass um, kind of their version of, of the Philly special, the the quarterback wasn't out in a route, but it was uh, Trey Burton lined up next to Chase Daniel. And Trey Burton was the guy who threw the Philly special to Nick Foles in the Super Bowl. Burton pitches to Tariq Cohen, who comes across and throws to Anthony Miller in the end zone. And that's what tied the game and sent it to overtime. And that, that was on a fourth and one, So another play where Matt Nagy needed a call and went into the bag of tricks but yeah as we look at the Giants offense it it was not particularly really impressive at any point Eli Manning was not good in this game at 19 of 35 that's for 170 yards that's 4.9 yards per attempt a 46.6 QBR and like the Bears when they Needed a big play and they went into their bag of tricks. The Giants did that too. And in the beginning of the third quarter, they had Odell Beckham throw uh, a touchdown pass. They let him throw from the 49 uh, in what seems like a nicely designed play. uh, But it turns out the wide open Russell Shepard, who caught the touchdown wasn't even supposed to be in a route on that play. He he admitted after the game he was supposed to be blocking, but noticed Benny Fowler, who the play was supposed to be designed to, was covered. So he ran a route and was wide open down the field, and that's how that touchdown happened.
0: That almost goes back to when uh, Lawrence Taylor was playing. He had a sack where he was supposed to be dropping in coverage, but instead just went on a rush bill parcells asked him you know what the hell was that that wasn't the play yeah but i got the sack maybe we should put it in the playbook <laughs> so maybe the future of this offense is odell beckham at uh quarterback because that was a ridiculous throw yeah, i've watched the replay of that a bunch of times and he should not have been able to throw that ball 50 yards in the air his he had the wrong foot forwards his feet weren't even set he was kind of hopping as he threw it and it might have been the best ball thrown by a giant all year
1: it might have been but i'm not even sure if that was his most impressive throw of the year remember back was it the carolina game when he threw the first touchdown he had a defender in his face; like That's that true. was not an easy throw that he made. Um, so he's made two uh, impressive throws for touchdowns. He's now two for two with two touchdowns uh, this and year.
0: Even more impressive, he now has twice as many forty-yard plus touchdown throws as Pat Mahomes. So, just is, saying.
1: What can't Odell oh no, Beckham do? That play was kind of needed because the Giants were not able to do anything a traditionally throwing the ball. This offense was not good.
0: The, the offense they wanted to run just... The offense that they have wanted to run all year just was not working against this Bears defense. You take away Odell's touchdown and you take away Alec Ogletree's pick six, and they scored 13 points in, re- in regulation.
1: Yeah, And most
0: of those points were scored by Aldrich Rosas, who continues to be amazing and should probably be in the Pro Bowl vote.
1: Yeah, this, for most of the game, it was still, even though the final score is 30, uh, that was not an offense that looked uh, like a final score would indicate. And early in the game, it was a lot of forced passes to Odell Beckham, and it was you know passes the bears knew were coming kyle fuller had an interception at the end of the first quarter where he read the route so well he like sat and just waited for the ball to come to him and it's it was an easily identifiable play it was Slant flat combo where Sterling Shepard ran into the flat Odell Beckham runs a slant Uh, the Giants have run that since Odell Beckham's rookie year Odell Beckham is very good at slants but uh, it's just if if there's any quarterback who has done some film study once that starts to develop it's very easy to see and The Bears are one of those teams who are going to do a lot of film study, and they have guys who can take advantage of knowing where the ball is going to go, and they can jump those routes, and Fuller could not have had an easier time jumping that route. I mean, eventually, the Giants could take advantage of that tendency, and put a go route on the end of that slant and have Beckham run a sluggo as a double move. And that should be wide open if there's going to be a cornerback trying to jump the slant, but that would take some offensive creativity and, you know, some type of adjustment there. And uh, I'm not totally sure if that's something the giants are willing to do uh, at any point.
0: It, it, It doesn't seem like it. The book on the giants offense has basically been written right now i it seems like whenever they make a play or have a big play it's because of some player putting on a cape and just being ridiculous you know usually it's either beckham or barkley which was the sum total of the giants run game against the bears saquon barkley putting his cape on a few times and just being not human
1: yeah, Barkley had another very Saquon Barkley game. Um, so his end line looks great if you're just looking at that. 24 carries, 125 yards. That's 5.2 yards per attempt. He finished the game on those 24 carries, negative 1.41 expected points added, and a 292 success rate so only seven of his 24 runs had positive epa he had four runs in this game that had a total of 5.94 expected points added so of course those are going to be the runs that everyone remembers and that everyone will make it seem like he had a good game there was a 29 yard run uh, on the first play in overtime and that was a lot of him, and that was meaningful. That set up, that flipped the field and put the Giants in field goal range, like off the bat in overtime. There was the long run at the end of the first half when the Giants were, Pat Shermer admitted he was giving up and just running a play to run the clock out. And that was a 22 yard run that made it possible for another 9-yard pass and then a 57-yard field goal to get points at the end of the half. That was a Barkley individual effort. So he always has these these splash plays that everyone is going to remember. Um, But then there are a lot of runs where it's setting the offense back. Again, just 29.2% success rate. That is... That is not great on on a play-to-play basis, but there are those big runs that do matter. Um, So that is the constant battle you have to have with handing Barkley the ball.
0: Yeah, basically, unless he is able to make multiple defenders miss, like he did on that run at the end of the first half, handing him the ball is a wasted down, really. The problem is that you never know when one of those just phenomenal human highlight reel runs is going to come. It's a damn shame he doesn't get consistently even decent run blocking because if he could have anything like consistent run blocking, he would be right there with Todd Gurley.
1: This is a whole another conversation of Barkley versus Gurley and, and how the offenses are set up around them.
0: Definitely, I just mean as, as a runner, right? I mean, Sean yeah. McVay and Pat Shermer are not the same dude,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, Gurley has the advantage of many, many more wide open holes. But the whole Barkley conversation is, and whether it is going to be minimal gain or or a big gain, and and those are those are the two options. Rarely are there the medium gains that puts the Giants in a tough position when they are trying to run the clock out and i think we saw that in this game when the giants got the ball and they were up 24 17 and their drive started with nine eighteen remaining in the fourth quarter I, A lot of people were upset they were passing in this situation but i, I don't think that's a bad idea of when you can create easy completions and move the ball. And that's what they were doing at the beginning of the drive. So, I mean, it starts with a Barkley run for just two yards, but then there's a pass to Sterling Shepard for nine yards. They get to another first down, then it's a Barkley run for two yards, then it's a Gallman run for negative three yards. But then on third and 11, there's a Manning pass to Benny Fowler for 11 yards. And that happens all the way down the field, and then it falls apart at the end, where there's a Gallman run for two yards, sets up a second and eight, where there's an incomplete to Ellison, and then Manning gets sacked on third down, and that sets up a fourth and 17, and everyone's up in arms about why did they throw the ball, but throwing the ball got them down the field, and it kept the chains moving. And then the Giants had a punt. Luckily, that's the punt that got down to the two, and then there was the B.W. Webb-Force fumble on Taylor Gabriel on the next play, so it did not matter. But on that drive, when the Giants were trying to chew up clock, the best plays on that drive were passes. And that is not a bad thing when you can have those completions that are going to move the ball. And when you see the runs, you look at the runs on that play, the longest one was two yards. I'm sorry, there was a Gallman run for nine yards. But the best plays were the ones that were throwing the ball and those still move the chains. Um, So I am not upset about throwing the ball in that situation. No, and
0: again, to go back to something else we we've brought up time and again that's how the Giants have to consider getting Barkley the ball not on you know swing passes or little check downs but actually past the line of scrimmage where he can put that ridiculous athleticism of of his to use against safeties and corners rather than defensive tackles
1: exactly and I think if you can be upset about how they use Barkley either on that drive or those late-game situations, I think you can be upset that they don't throw him the ball more often. That is the way to do it. That is a place where I'm not even sure if I'd be upset about throwing him those swing passes behind the line because more often, I trust Barkley more to gain yards there on those swing passes than i do him running up the middle and those are those are pseudo runs they're still touches for barkley just because he is not running the ball does not mean like they're not using him like they're supposed to in trying to drain the clock so i i'd be more upset about not using him in that way and throwing him the ball while you're trying to drain the clock at the end of games, then I am not handing him the ball and letting him run up the middle, which is probably only going to be for two yards.
0: Yeah. You know, even if the those short passes get five yards, that's still better puts the offense in a better position than the two yard gain and running back routes are generally easy completions. Yeah. You know, just those quick angle routes the their quarterly wheel route which you know i say because they only run about once every four games and th- those are just ways they could manufacture touches for barkley that use his skill set that they just don't seem to feature much
1: right exactly and there are those running back routes that can have you know, completion probability of like So it's not like you're risking a pass rush and you're not really risking an incompletion and stopping the clock. Um, those are ways you could use Barkley better than just running him up the middle when when you're trying to drain the clock and gain yards. That is the other thing, you are trying to gain yards. Um, and in that situation, when the teams think you are running, and that's when they start loading the box, and the Giants don't do much to throw off teams that they might be running, when they are running, they are going to be in heavy personnel. So, giving a little bit of a different look that that also slows the defense down. So, I think that is the issue more in those late game drives than the Giants just dropping back to pass or not giving Barkley uh, enough touches in the run game. Uh, I think those are those are two very different ways to go about those situations. Um, but. If we're being honest, it's a surprise the Giants are even in those situations because they, they've they had in the past the couple games, the past, I mean, really the past four weeks, they have had those situations. Last week against the Eagles, they eventually blew the game, but they did have a lead late. Um, and we're looking at three of the past four weeks the Giants have won the game and now next week they're going to be in Washington and we still don't know what that Washington team is going to look like and then there's the Titans in week 15 who knows what the Titans are in any given week Uh, they could either be one of the best teams in the league or not look like an NFL team uh, depending on the week so the Giants might be in this situation more often going forward, which is continually a weird thing to think, but they've shown they've at least been able to hang even when they're not playing particularly well, like was the case in this game.
0: Yeah, and that that's improvement. You know, they're not just kind of sort of hanging around for two and a half, three quarters, then collapsing completely. So it's a step in the right direction, and especially now that they're winning games against, we'll say similarly not great teams. The next step, I suppose, is to be able to hang around and grind out some wins against good teams. But I don't think we'll be able to see that this year.
1: No, no, probably not probably something that uh, is not going to be a goal until probably 2019. But the Giants, you know, did get a win. Uh, you can't take that away from them. And the Giants are now 4-8, and eight, which is still not great, but... Better than some of us expected at the beginning of the season. Uh, Definitely better than what we expected when the Giants went into their bye at 1-7. I definitely would not have expected three wins in four weeks. Uh, But that's where the Giants are right now. So there are some positive things to look at. There are some things that absolutely still need work as the Giants go forward. And so I think we can end it there. You can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcast. You'll be getting this show, the Valentine's Views shows, our college and draft show at the end of the week. Um, Please rate and review if you have not. That helps us out greatly. Please read our work at BigBlueView.com. Follow BigBlueView on Twitter at BigBlueView. Follow Big Blue View on Instagram. Still trying to do some cooler things over there. That is at big underscore blue underscore view. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. Follow Chris on Twitter at Raptor MKII. We will be back at the end of the week talking some college football and NFL draft now that the college regular season is over. So thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon.
0: Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.
1: More to dos, less time, and
0: an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot, because their all in one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier.